0: My name is Duke Bendix. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, it's always a delight to be able to be here at midweek service, especially tonight. We are in the middle of a very important time, I think, for this church, for our Every Nation Church family. Uh, Many of you and many of us are in the process of fasting this week and uh, trying to enter into something that may be Uh, New territory, I think what I'm going to be addressing tonight will be new territory for uh, maybe many of us, we've not really heard about uh, this subject tonight in any great detail would be my guess, and if I'm wrong, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, We're going to be talking about the holiness of God, and um, we're, as part of, and I hope it will be not only a context for the prayer and the fasting that we're doing, learning and pressing into the Lord about holiness, so about holiness in our own life, that we're responding to 1 Peter 1.15 that says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. You shall be holy, the Lord says, because I am holy. Our commitment to walk in holiness is both in response to and is informed by The holiness of God. And what we want to look at is what it means when we consider the holiness of God. The Hebrew word for holy, as you may have been in your reading this week, is kadash. And it means to be consecrated, dedicated, to be separate or set apart. And tonight I want to look at the holiness of God to gain both an understanding and hopefully an inspiration to walk in holiness, to discover and commit ourselves to what it is to be a holy people. My hope is that we will see that our efforts to be holy are a righteous response to a holy God. So join me in prayer. Lord God, I, I come before you as I did when I first was asked to consider this topic and just bow before you. And say, Lord God, you are holy, but only you can help us see you in your holiness. Lord God, I'm asking you would open the eyes of our hearts. I'm asking that you would grace the words that I speak and allow us tonight to touch something, see something uh, of who you are, uh, high and lifted up and glorious in every way. So God, come Lord God, come Holy Spirit. And reveal to us the nature of our God. Amen. A.W. Tozier was a teacher and really kind of a prophetic voice in the 19th early mid-20th century 1950s and he wrote in his book um, on on the holiness of God he writes this that our idea of God correspond as nearly as possible to the true being of God is immense of immense importance. A right conception of God is basic, not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. It is to worship, this understanding of a high view of God, it is to worship what the foundation is to the temple. Where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. He goes on to say that so necessary to the church is a lofty concept of God that when that concept is in any measure declines, the church with her worship and her moral standards declines along with it. The first step down for any church Is taken when it surrenders a high opinion of God a high view of God requires a clear understanding and commitment I believe to honoring him as holy our idea of God and how we think of him what we understand uh, him to be and how we reverence him appropriately uh, Reverencing God appropriately, that is how we posture our hearts, how we conduct our lives, how we worship, how we regard and treat other people, all begin with seeing God as holy. Seeing Him as holy as we realize that we realize that He's not the God necessarily that we want Him to be. He is the God who is what and how he is, not how we think he ought to be or what we expect him to be. By contrast, a low view of God allows for an understanding of him that focuses on his commitment to our well-being, support, and provision. This view seeks and sees a God who can regard and relate that we can regard and relate to on our terms, with a priority upon our needs, our well being, and our good. Such a view of God communicates a gospel that offers the forgiveness of sin and the assurance of heaven, but holds forth no expectation or requirement that the commands of Christ will be obeyed and the character of Christ formed in the lives of those who believe a low view of God allows us to reverence him seek him relate to him on the basis of what he will be for us rather than who he is in himself and who we will be for him I hope you can see we're talking about maybe uh, the need here for God to help us make in, in some cases a paradigm shift that our whole approach may become different. So what does holy, the holiness of God mean? I've given some different quotes that I pulled out of resources that I have. A.A. Uh, a. Hodge, a 19th century Princeton theologian, the holiness of God is a general term representing the conception of his consummate perfection and total glory. It is his infinite moral perfections crowning his infinite intelligence and power. Obviously these men are trying, these scholars are trying to get their arms around. Them. Emil Bruner, a 20th century theologian, writes, Holiness is the nature of God, that which distinguishes him from everything else, the transcendence of God in his very nature as the holy other. The distinguishing mark peculiar to God alone, it is that which sets the being of God apart from all other forms of being. And Wayne Grudem, some of you would be familiar with, God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. This definition contains both a relational quality, separation from, and a moral quality, The separation is from sin or evil, and the devotion is to the good of God's own glory, which I may comment on a little bit later in this message. Tonight, we will look at our text seeking to understand what God's holiness is. We will do so looking at our passage uh, as containing or having three elements that reveal God's holiness to us. A god's infinite majesty now these are the means by which we're going to peer into the word of god and ask god to reveal something of his holy nature and he's going to start we're going to start by looking at god's infinite majesty second the immeasurable distance between god's majesty and our creatureliness and infinite and and excuse me our creatureliness and sin nature And the third element is the unqualified surrender the divine glory brings us to. The unqualified surrender that God's wonderful glory brings us to. Please stand with me while we read uh, our text for this evening. Familiar verse, I suspect. having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. You may be seated. We'll get out of here by 10 o'clock. We've got a little <laughs> ground to cover. <clears throat> Element one in our exploring, or looking at the meaning or what it is when we speak of, of God's holiness. God reveals his holiness by first of all showing Isaiah, but showing to us his infinite majesty. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What we have here is a moment in time when the veil that part, that divides or that separates the the temporal, from the eternal, or the spirit, the, the spiritual, is pulled back. And what Isaiah is seeing is the transcendent reality of the Lord Yahweh as he is in glory. This is the God of glory. This is the as one called the all ruler. Who he who is holy other. Unlike anything else, superior to all else, immeasurably greater, enthroned having absolute authority. And this was the one that the prophet saw and looked upon. We are presented with the contrast here between what is transient or passing and what is eternal. Uzziah's death was a point in time, a moment in history. At that point in time, Isaiah encountered the reality and the presence of that which is timeless, the one who is eternal and above time. The sight of God enthroned is not to be seen as a momentary snapshot. This wasn't just a click. I got a, wait a minute, let me get a selfie here. No, this was not that. But rather, this was not a a glimpse of something passing. Rather, it is the revelation, this was a, a, a look at, what was then, in that moment, the presence of the throne of God, what now is, and what, was, what will always be. In other words, <clears throat> we are being shown with Isaiah the reality behind the reality. We are being shown uh, the reality from which all our reality proceeds and is superseded by we are having with isaiah are perceiving and looking upon the ultimate reality who is god enthroned over all things what we live in and experience in this world is real but it is apart from and subject to and utterly dependent upon the reality which is greater now now please don't get lost in this folks this is what the Bible reveals to us. God God is showing wants us to see that which is beyond what we know because what is beyond what we know is where our hearts need to be oriented. It's what our hope is in. It's what 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 we draw our faith from. So what we're looking at here is not intended to be Uh, bewildering, quite to the contrary, I'm hoping that something will be opened up to us whereby we can have maybe an adjusted or different point of reference in looking and considering who God is. That's what is being revealed here. Um, In this moment, we join Isaiah in what has been called convergent space, where temporal reality is intersected by and opened up to eternal reality. We, we're, we're stepping into something. Read the book of Revelations. It is one, one, uh, one Im, uh, image and one reality, one picture, not picture, one glimpse of, of, of this after another. But what we're doing in Isaiah, what we're finding is that the eternal is intersecting with the temporal and we have a moment in which we can look upon who God is. And we find him in this convergent space to be something completely other than what we have ever seen or realized. And, and, and it's in Scripture, and there's other places, we find convergent space in, uh, in Revelations 5 and in other places in Revelations. And in the New Testament, it's what the transfiguration is. It's Jesus being as it were the veil being pulled back and seeing who Jesus Christ is seeing him exalted seeing him it says his his countenance changed and and he was whiter than any pure white we could imagine and that was what the disciples saw but interestingly enough that Jesus in the transfiguration was the same Jesus who walked amongst them it was an intersection that they saw, and, and something was they perceived something that I believe God wants us to see in Scripture, to see in this passage, and to begin to relate to God in a different way because of what we see. Unless we think this is a tra- uh, that Isaiah was in a trance or in a mystical experience, we are shown that this was a tangible, experienced reality. His robe filled the temple, the temple. Isaiah was standing in the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon had built. He was standing in the holy place. He saw God enthroned. And it said the train of God's, the, God's robe filled the temple. Now, the, the, holy, the holy place had about uh, 1,800 square feet. That's how, that's the volume of the robe That God had someone said that maybe the robe that the Lord had here was was the banners or the the robes of of nations I I don't think that's the case because I don't think God defines himself in any way shape or form in terms of what's temporal this robe preceded the nations this robe was eternal but it was also tangible it was also something physically real This is a revelation of the majesty of God, his his authority, his otherness, as one who is unapproachable. Goes on and Isaiah says, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings and with two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I suspect that this is yet a further picture of the otherness of God. The seraph, the term itself, is derived from the word flame. These creatures are always present, serving God from a posture of humility. Their faces are covered, their feet are covered. But with the purity <clears throat> excuse me of fire itself. These are winged creatures that we see on the ark. You may remember the movie where the the the, 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 the winged creatures and their wings are touching over the mercy seat. This is the same this is the same reality that is pictured in that carving that that, that, that the that was carried and put in the tabernacle. Their worship declares and reverences the enthroned one with the superlative holy, declaring him to be kadash separate completely apart not a part of anything that 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 it was be that was being uh that was that was around him but separate from that the holiness of god it says the foundations of the threshold shook and the voice of him who called uh, and the house was filled with smoke It's likely what's being described here is the 52 and a half foot columns that stood at the entrance of the Holy of Holies, the threshold. With the voice of the Lord and the presence of God, there was a shaking. Picture this. Again, the encounter with the eternal was not a vision, it was something real. It was the eternal coming into the natural and making the reality of a transcendent God clear and evident to the prophet. Smoke here is probably a visible evidence of God's glory that filled the temple much as what did when the temple was dedicated. And there the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. So this is element number one, the majesty of God, a a bewildering reality that is completely unlike and apart from anything that we're either familiar with or that we can even imagine. And yet here it is in Scripture To reveal to us something that obviously we're not only to hear from the prophet about, but we're to take into our own hearts and consider, God, what are you showing us? What what do we need to see from this? What is this calling us up to? And I trust that as we seek what it means to walk in holiness this week, that we will reflect on the holiness of the God that we serve And let that inform, inspire, and guide us. The second element in understanding God's holiness is the immeasurable distance between God's majesty and our creatureliness and our sin nature. Isaiah said, and I said, when I saw this splendor, this majesty, I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. All that had been disclosed to Isaiah up to that point confronts him with the reality of his creatureliness. He was completely other than the enthroned one he was looking upon. Not different than, other than. And as such, here, get this, and as such, seemingly insignificant, fragile, woefully inadequate at every point. He was looking on perfection. He was having a revelation of God and his perfection. To be confronted with what is unapproachable, what is the, who, the one who is the creator source of all things, including all life, to see the grandeur, the majesty, and the, ter- the terrible mystery of the one enthroned tears away the facade of our independence and our autonomy. It upends everything from which we find security. This is where Isaiah found himself. He was before the one who created everything and didn't need anything. And here he was, a creature. Isaiah realized there was no requirement that can be made, no demand, no case that can be presented for why he should exist or continue existing in that moment. Isaiah was undone. But this is not the full extent of God's holy nature that was being revealed within the perfection of God's majesty there is the ethical sphere of his purity the perfection of God's majesty is made complete in his moral purity the white hot light of God's holiness exposes all that is alien to God's purity and opposed to him his truth and his law He's jealous for his glory. Now he's not jealous because he's afraid somebody's going to take it away from him. No, the purity and the glory of his holiness is what gives wholeness and glory and substance to everything that's created. He's jealous for what he alone is worthy of, not to have anything alongside of him, not to have anything encroach upon him, not to have anything disrespect or disobey him, he is jealous for that because everything that he's created is made whole by that glory. Everything that he has created finds its fullness when it reflects that glory. When it gives expression to that glory. And here stands a man who is openly among a people and 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 of creatures that are in open rebellion, open opposition, have nothing in their hearts that wants to give any kind of credence or place to this holy one. And Isaiah recognizes that's who he is. In seeing and realizing such infinite separation, an unbridgeable divide between God and his majesty and his purity and himself, Isaiah cries out, Woe is me, I am lost. Here we see that that Isaiah was seeing, and we, we can see, that we're not only apart from God because he's wholly other, We stand in opposition to God. Isaiah was both, and he saw that. Here in this place, we can understand what the Bible calls the fear of God. I know some of us have grown up wondering, I wonder what what are we supposed to be afraid of? When we see God for who he is in his unspeakable glory and power and authority and at the same time that we stand in opposition to that one not only separated from him by being of a whole other nature but also opposed to him there is only one response for a creature and that is to fear the one who not only can judge but who can look and say I don't don't have any need for you and that violates something in our pride. Well, of course, and, and, and I'm just saying, understand, this is something we, we need to ponder. We're so used to being told of our significance, and we are significant. God does love us. He, does, he did create us. I'm not diminishing or demeaning that, but we need at some time to have the veil taken away and say, you know what? I'm a creature of something and someone who is so vastly beyond anything I can understand. And not only that, but I stand in opposition to his purity and his holiness. Uh, that I, I, it, it gives us a sobering view from which we can then begin to properly relate. And it is here in this moment, this depth of utter despair that Isaiah found himself in, that we encounter yet further revelation... Of God's nature, his unsearchable mercy. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. In his unspeakable goodness, the holy, pure, and perfect enthroned one extends mercy in his holiness God reveals his commitment to overcome the vast moral divide between us who are opposed to God and the one who created us God is committed to overcoming that divide as we know that's what Jesus revealed to us but here We're finding a revelation of God's mercy touching Isaiah and reminding us, revealing, not reminding, revealing to us something of the deep, precious nature of the God that we serve. Though existing completely apart from his creation, God extends himself with mercy, offering relationship rather than judgment, reconciliation rather than condemnation. And here, too, the unsearchable majesty and goodness of God in his perfection is revealed. He shows himself to be for us, even when we stand condemned of being against him. And this brings us to element number three in understanding God's holiness. The unqualified surrender that the divine glory brings us to. Isaiah writes, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, here am I, send me. In this revelation of the holiness of God, seeing God in his perfection and purity, in the awesomeness of his glory, Isaiah was both undone and restored. Undone by the sheer magnitude, the overwhelming mystery of the reality of God undid him. I believe believe God wants to encounter every one of us in that same way. We may not have the heavens, the veil opened up to us. We may not have it in a moment where, where the temporal and the supernatural intersect. But I know I can speak from experience where the veil wasn't opened. But there was a night in a place in Corvallis, Oregon, not long after I came to know the Lord. Psychedelic pictures on the wall. Creepy place. And I was a new Christian. And I was wrestling with God. And I got on my knees one night on this funky rug. Put my my face down in the carpet. And, I, and, I, and I, I sensed as clear as I'm standing here that Christ himself was standing right in front of me. I dare not look up. If I looked up, well, I didn't even want to think about that. And it was in that moment that I encountered something of God's holiness. Something touched my soul. And like Isaiah, I got up from that moment and I had a clarity or a clear sense of what God wanted me to do and what he wanted me to be. It was an image. It wasn't, thus saith the Lord, Duke, you are going to be a pastor. That was later. But in that moment, there was a sense of God, God was willing to use me. But I had to be undone, and I had to be restored. Both. 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 Rightly seeing God, rightly seeing God's holiness gives us a vantage point, a platform from which we can see him properly and from which we can properly regard our own lives. That's why, under, that's why this platform, this posture of looking at the holiness of God is so important. Seeing God as holy, high and lifted up, needs to be foundational to our consideration of God and our approach to Him, this is having a high view of God. We don't start with what God can you do for me. We we can we, we know we know He's revealed His mercy. We know He's covered the gap, come across the gap to us. But now, as those who are recipients of that, we're to start from the place of saying, "You're amazing." My eyes are on you. You are the one who has done this. You are the one who has created this. You are the one who is sustaining this. And God, I look to you. Holy, magnificent. I honor you. And you see, the capacity and the demand for that has been put down in us from the very creation of our lives. Because something that resonates and and, and recognizes the glory of God is sown into the very fabric of how we're made. That's what made Isaiah being undone so profound. It, 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 It impacted him at the very core of who he was and what he was. From this vantage point of revelation, we are able to direct our worship for God, on the basis of who He is and how He is. Such worship lifts our eyes upward. To worship God, we're giving our attention to one who is beyond us all the time. That's what our life is to be about. That's what it is to walk in holiness. We're learning how to walk continuously with a view. Toward the one who is holy. Isaiah 6 reveals God as above all else, who is to be the primary reference point for considering everything. How should I spend my money? Let's ask the Lord. How should we navigate this conflict, dear? Let's ask the Lord. Our reference point is always to come back as a creature, not as the creator. Our our reference point is always to come back, must always. And see, this is what we're fasting about. God, help me learn to think this way, to choose this way, to live this way, always with a view toward who you are and what you've revealed yourself to be. And it's way beyond anything that's around here. And it's beyond anything that is in me. God in his holiness, God the ultimate reality, is the ground of our hope. High and lifted up, the anchor that is behind the veil, unchanging, constant, always above and beyond our circumstances, yet always present here with us to lift us up. Such truth should always be before us. The truth of He's he's beyond where we are. He's greater than where we are. He's, He's exceedingly more than anything we can ask or imagine. That ought to be in the front of our thinking, especially when we're dealing with difficulty. It isn't so much a matter of, God, get me out of here. It's a matter of, God, help me to see where you are and who you are in this moment. And in that... There will be deliverance. From that will be the healing that was talked about earlier. But our orientation is first and foremost not to the healing, not to get out of here, but to behold the one who is beyond. And to let ultimate reality inform and shape the reality that we live in and confront. Such truth should be before us, ready in our hearts and understanding, drawing our focus upward in trust, Always affirming our creatureliness, our utter dependence, yet always grateful for his mercy and grace. Jeremiah 17.12 says, A glorious throne, set on high from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. The holy place where God is revealed to be kadosh. Completely other, separate, apart from, distinct, in every way, the one who is awesome, terrible, and unapproachable, the throne that existed before time, is the very place, Jeremiah says, we're to enter to find God as our sanctuary. Isn't it interesting that the God that we're to fear is the God we're to run into, to be sheltered, to find the comfort? to find the assurance, to find that reality that lifts us up and takes us beyond where we are in any given moment. The pursuit of holiness, walking a godly life, embracing the process of sanctification is an intentional thing that we set ourselves toward. It's actions we take and choices we make every day. Holiness is not something that's done for us. It's something we lean into. It's something that we get in the front of our minds. I've got to start living this way. Why? Because he's worthy of it. My holiness is simply a reflection of his. And what I want to learn how to do is how to more perfectly reflect that glory. And let that glory be the glory of God that fills my home, my life, my heart, in every way. Let us continue through the year in the purposes we've undertaken this week. May deep, permanent change be made in our motivation, attitude, thinking, and will, so as to reflect the holiness of God. May we live our lives in the light of what God has shown us about himself. May we live our lives in the light of what God has shown us about himself. Strive, Hebrews 12, 14 says, which means pursue, follow hard after the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let me close with a final quote from A.W. Tozier. I think it's up on the screen. This holiness of God, what we're talking about here tonight... Is the real foundation of religion it is certainly the ruling interest of the Christian religion in front of our prayer or work stands hallowed be thy name neither love grace faith nor sin have any but a passing meaning except as they rest on the holiness of God love is but it's outgoing sin is but its defiance grace is but its action on sin the cross is but its victory and faith is but its worship lord god i pray that what we are touching here i know it to be sacred i know it to be precious and i believe god with all my heart that it is something you want to bring us into more and more and more clearly fully in our life experience in our thinking lord would you use this to renew us in the spirit of our minds would you use this to divide between soul and spirit would you use it to expose the motivations and the intentions of our heart that we can more perfectly become like you walk with you serve you be yielded to you So God, thank you. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for what we are able to touch this evening together. And I just pray, God, that we would reflect on it, that this week it would be a reference point for these next couple of days of fasting. And we just thank you and welcome you, Lord God, for all that you're doing in us and among us. Amen.